Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When I was two years old, when I was dedicated to the cause of Lucifer, I was at that point a seventh generation I was laying there practically hold me as if I was me. I couldn't talk. I couldn't open my eyes. I, I believe my eyes were all right back in my head. There was evidence of human sacrifice on this fight. One of my first questions I asked was, God, is there evidence of human sacrifice? Yes, yes. We found the man with his fingers like God. guys we're back here on conspiracy normal for us it's been a couple of weeks here in the studio but uh last week you heard a show and uh, we have the guest that we were supposed to have on last week but she is here now and that is uh sarah soderland sarah Hello. welcome, <laughs> welcome <laughs> to conspiracy normal I- i'm very Hello. happy to have you and i'm I- so excited I-, I think it worked out well because we're actually go we're actually kicking off um our Halloween special because most of the year we're kind of a more of a 
conspiracy and po- politics kind of show in a way. Uh, I've kind of gotten away a little bit from the paranormal stuff, but recently yeah. a lot of our earlier shows were like that. If you've ever listened, and yep. we had uh, we so we had guys like Bill Bean, Tim Yancey, uh, Stephen Lachance. I've had them on in the past. But recently, I've kind of gotten away from that. And this October, I was kind of like, I we need to do all kind of like a paranormal. Uh, ghosts, all kinds of stuff, poltergeists, that kind of thing, uh, all through October. And so you're, you're the first one for that. So congratulations. Yay. <laughs> I feel honored. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You were also, um, on IPBN with us, with the wonderful, uh, headed by the wonderful Rocky Stucci and Mr. Scotty Roberts, who are good right, friends right. of our show as well. And you have a show. What's the name of the show that's on there? Um, well, right now it's Mysteries of the Mind, but we're actually reformatting it and it's going to be same time, same place, uh, same host. So very much the same show, just a little bit different content. So it's going from Mysteries of the Mind to State of Mind. Okay. And State of Mind really implying more of that politics, history, um, forensics, what's going on right now, you know, in fear and terror and, you know, interrogations and debates and politics and more very much to kind of the platform that IPBN is and more of what I'm doing because I'm in the police program currently. So it's All right. a little bit more relative to what's going on in my life. So we're reformatting that and it should um, launch right around Halloween. So. Oh, cool. There, Excellent. Yeah. So let's. Yeah, yeah. Get a little preview tonight, I guess. And, and right. I guess, like, we'll be talking about some terror later on when we talk about Donald Trump. But, terror. Uh, <laughs> right. That's terror right there. Yeah. yeah. Hillary's not much better as far as terror. The whole, thing's, whole no. thing the whole thing is scarier than any. The whole thing is very scary. <laughs> than any scary movie you would see than on TV. Than anything we could talk about, about anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. So maybe it, so maybe it will be appropriate for us later to do that right. to, to talk about it during Halloween time. Uh, I want to get started talking about your your professional background. Uh, okay. Like you have a background in psychology, and you also have though as someone that has been exposed to and has had the paranormal as a big part of their life for a long time. You also have that influence as well. So. How has those kind of how has the paranormal kind of influenced you in your professional life and then vice versa of that? And how do you kind of combine and rectify the two together? Ooh, okay. So that's a complicated order. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think that um you know, I think sometimes people wonder if if it's like a duality, if there's a really big difference from what I do scientifically or in the education field, which for me, um, professionally speaking, my background, I have a master's degree in forensic psychology and a specialty in neurolinguistic programming. I really focus a lot on psychopathy. My dissertation and research is on psychopathy, assessments, treatment, um, interrogation techniques, uh, hypnosis, uh, things of that nature, nonverbal communication and um, uh, things that I think are really happening a lot right now. But for me, language is, is a big part of my life and psychology and, and cognitive processes of violent offenders. What is and, forensic psychology uh-huh. real quick? 
Well, forensics is really just matters of the law. So forensic psychology, we deal with people going through court process, people who are guilty of some sort of a crime. Usually it is violent offenders, um, but people who are going through maybe a trial or the assessment for competency, um, or they're just, uh, you know, in a place like Leavenworth, they're in a lockdown facility or correctional facility where, you know, they're struggling with violent behaviors and um, antisocial personality disorder, things like that. Okay. So, Yeah. So the serial killers, dun, 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 yeah, yeah. you know, that sort of thing is very much forensic psychology, um, dealing with why people do what they do. How can we reduce recidivism? How can we be preventative? How can we treat these people, you know, rather than c- confining them and making them worse? Um, but sure. for me, I'm not so much in the treatment as I am the assessment. For me, it's the research side of things. I'm really fascinated in the interviewing part of it, the interaction and the human behavior, uh, the lying, the deceitfulness, the um, the testimony. Uh, that sort of thing is really, really interesting to me. And watching like the presidential debate was fascinating because I'm paying attention <laughs> to their language and I'm wondering, you know, how much of it is truthfulness, um, you know, how much of it has been recited, repeated, if they're looking to the left or to the right, you know, I'm really, I'm, it was fascinating for me, the content, not so much. Um, <clears throat> but- or, or, or sniffing. Right, or sniffing or coughing. Um, There's been some really cool stuff, I just have to say, on Hillary and her inserts. Every time that she touches her ear or briefly kind of brushes over her cheek area, Uh uh, there's automatically uh, a break for Donald Trump, and they cut camera to her, and she gets to have an input, which is really interesting when you play the debate back. It's on cue every Hmm. time, which is kind of fun. Um, But anyway, so on with the question. you know, that is my, that's my professional right now. I'm in the police academy. It's a peace officer program here in Minnesota, um, you know, working with the FBI, working with uh, police law enforcement uh, is a big part of, of my training. So I'm just kind of doing additional training um, as I do doctoral research. And a lot of it um, melded over because of my life experiences growing up. You know, I grew up in, firstly, a, a very haunted home. And not only spiritually speaking, it was a haunted home, a lot of paranormal phenomenon, a lot of strange things happening uh, as a young child experiencing very strange phenomenon, everything from alien type stuff to um, what people might say are vortexes, but I don't buy that. Um, You know, different, just different sorts of phenomenon, which were really fascinating and it helped to kind of create who I was. And then, you know, my mother was an addict. And so that played into quite a bit of the parenting and the life experiences that later moved into um, my stepfather, who is a very abusive man, which kind of pushed me into forensics hmm. and pushed pushed me into working for uh, the mental health department in Missouri and working with people who were just not all the way there, kind of trying to understand and process that for myself and for him and for my mom. And I think, you know, all psychologists maybe start out that way. Um, but also because, you know, during adolescence, I learned that not everybody has psychic intuition experiences. Uh, they maybe have intuition. I think everyone is born with intuition, but maybe are not molded in a way like I was in a family that was very accepting to it. Um, to where I was not desensitized or conditioned to just shrug it off, 
to interact with it, actually, to take note of it and to learn from it and to use it and to be proactive right. with it. Um, I think that really um, – Later, I, you know, I'm faced with future Christian athletes of America and my high school peers and people thinking I'm crazy and I'm a witch and, you know, what in the world? And um, my mom was kind of a strange outburst and my older sister was a Wiccan. And, and so I was kind of outcast in a, in a certain way until Halloween time, of course, which is always trendy. Um, but I wondered, you know, how come culturally speaking, cultures are so different in accepting uh, paranormal phenomenon and, and supernatural things and folklore, because I really liked that part of my childhood. I really right. enjoyed those experiences. They weren't negative at all. Um, I think people you know, are more accepting of it now than they used to be. Yes. Sure. I think Hollywood, you know, starting with Ghostbusters, moving into reality television shows, you know, Fear on MTV, and then later Taps and Ghost Hunters and all these different shows. I think people now understand that there's a, a gross interest in it. And so, you know, people are more open to talk about it. You know, we're less traditional, less religious, you know, um, all sorts of things I think contribute to it. And it's exciting, of course, for me because I can talk openly about it. I can write a book about it. I can, you know, mention it. But it, it was an interesting combination for me to work, you know, on a unit with people who were diagnosed schizophrenic and were hearing voices. And when I was in the cell with them, could hear the voices as well. Whoa. You know, and it would, you know, you would have these experiences that just freaked you out. Uh -huh. And I thought, wow, here we are at this precipice, you know, where someone has an experience or a family has a child that's having an experience, something you can't quite figure out, you know, for maybe a, a family that's not religious, maybe they go to their doctor and maybe that doctor puts their child on medication and that child goes into the system. That's not necessarily a health system. You know, it's not a beneficial system. Um and early medication can, you know, create a lot of long-term damage. Or maybe you have a very religious family, and so they have a child experiencing something. Maybe they try and do a home exorcism that goes bad, or maybe their priest suggests that they do, you know, all sorts of interesting, not-so-ancient, sadly, uh, techniques to to rid the child of, of a ghostly entity. You know, um, it, it was fascinating to me that, America, as diverse as it is, that you have people that might be having a paranormal experience. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But whatever path they choose to seek guidance is going to drastically change and mold their life. And I thought, shouldn't they have more options? Shouldn't they have someone who's not paid by the pharmaceutical company? Shouldn't they have someone who's not biased by their religion? Maybe shouldn't they have someone that can talk them through different options and utilize maybe what they see on television and understand the reasons behind what's going on on those television shows. Why someone's burning sage? Why is someone doing a, a cleansing or a smokestick? Why are they burying metals? Why are they using gemstones? Why are they using a crucifix? You know, what are the belief systems and how do they pertain to you? Because I, as a psychologist, think that your belief system has a whole lot to do with your reality. Sure. That does, you know, that does still, make sense. I, I want to go back a little bit to the schizophrenic, because you said something there that's utterly fascinating, <laughs> that, you, that you, heard the, you heard the voices yeah. as well. And yeah. I've, I'd, I've often wondered, and it's a, very, um, it's a very, there's a fine line here, because you want to say, okay, they are schizophrenic, they are mentally ill, there is actually something physically wrong with them in, in their brain. But at the same time, 
uh, ancient, more ancient societies did consider those people touched by God or by the gods. Oh, sure. And uh, there's Maybe actually right, exactly. There was actually yeah. the, uh, you may know about this. There was an experiment that was done, or actually a therapy that was done for some people that are considered schizophrenic in our society, well, they actually took them to, I think somewhere in Africa where they could speak to people that were quote unquote primitive. And all of a sudden in that society, they were considered shamans and their, their, their lives, the quality of their lives actually improved. So I find that very interesting that that, because we're, we're all about this whole thing about altered states of consciousness and schizophrenia. Schizophrenia could just be just that another form of an altered state. And so that you may actually, they, they may actually be communicating with something that's real. Oh, sure. And, and see, and so for that, okay. So you might find this fascinating just on a sidebar. Um, Michael Esposito, he's one of my go-to black book people for audio engineering and alternative music and alternative music engineering. He's an audio specialist and I love his work. It's really creepy and awesome. And I have always been very fascinated in binaural beats, um, something that I did in my undergraduate that I kind of fell in love with for self-therapy and for self-use and hypnosis and whatnot. And binaural beats, you know, learning about frequency and trying to understand more about the electromagnetic spectrum, what we do and do not perceive, what some people do and do not perceive. And ironically, George Carlin in the sky, my universe, ironically, George Carlin would give me a son, my firstborn son, who has severe tinnitus who also, Michael Esposito, suffers from severe tinnitus. Some people, most people, modern medical model, says tinnitus is a disease. It's a defect. Right. But really, it's just extra sensitive hearing. My son, before he could speak, would stand and interact with the television when it was off our old, old TV set that I used to play my Nintendo on. He would hear things. He would hear, he would start reacting and screaming and shaking two minutes before an airplane would go over. That he just, he he can hear, a, uh, it's actually the lower range, he hears at about 17.1 hertz, when most people kind of start around 19 to 20 hertz. Um, so he hears very low frequencies. And, and some schizophrenics also can hear on a wider range of frequency, so that perhaps the voices they're hearing are, you know, it could be whatever that's on a lower or higher range Yeah, that is just not audible to most people. And now they're starting to do those kind of testings and use binaural beats as treatment. But I, I just found that interesting that it may not have anything to do with, um, you know, the, uh, the pineal gland or, or, or anything in the brain that makes you extra special to intuition. It, it may be an inner ear thing. You that, know? that you can hear things that nor that people, with a normal sense of hearing would not be able to hear. Right. Right. Yeah. And for those listening, the fear frequency, if you just are a Google person, like you're listening late night and you, maybe mm-hmm. you have insomnia tonight, the fear frequency has kind of been my recent obsession. Cause my son, um, my husband does music. He does in home studio work and like composing and soundtracks. Okay. And a, a few of his songs uh, that we did for the Shannara Chronicles were like very, Lord of the Rings, you know, very dun, 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 like very, you know, epic. Sure. And it had a lot of synthesizer in the background. And my son, he would hear it and freak out. I mean, 
freak out, fetal position, shaking, screaming, poltergeist, like freak out. We'd turn the music off and he'd stop. And we're like, what in the world? What is it in this song? And Michael Esposito told me that a lot of horror movie soundtrack engineers will purposely put, um, gosh, dang it, I believe it's 19 um, point, uh, I'm going to have to Google it now. Uh, It's just below 20. It's 19.7. I believe, yeah, I believe it's 19.7 or the range just above 19 to 20. But when certain people that hear it, it gives you those goosebumps. It gives you those chills. It gives you anxiety. it, It triggers that in the human body. And not everyone can hear it or feel it or has that reaction. But they will play it because like in a movie theater, if 5% of the audience feels it and has a reaction, the rest of the people follow suit. Yeah, with the surround sound. Right. Well, and just, they, they, just so, anyway. so happens we have an audio engineer sitting right next to me. So he hey! might be able to vouch for some of this. Yeah, I was actually going to say that it's for, for a lot of people, it's more of a, a sense or an intuition around 20 hertz. Like, not necessarily, um, you're not necessarily hearing it. You're just kind of, your body reacts to it more than. Right. There you go. See? Yes. Better said. Better said. Let's talk a little bit about your experiences growing up. Okay. Uh, Because you talk about that you grew up in a haunted house. Uh, Yeah. What were were some of the experiences that you had as a child there? Oh, my gosh. There's just so many. You're hearing my children. Those aren't ghost children. That's That's not a class A A EVP. It's not a class A audible. No, Um, (laughs) it's not my my uh, precognitive, like giving you my childhood memories. Um, It is funny. You know, I have a lot of experiences, a lot of them, you know, I wrote about in Haunted by the Abyss, but so many I didn't write about. Um, the big one was probably the old lady that haunted the property. She was something that interacted with almost everybody. Um, she was a presence that was probably the very first entity and the very last entity and is still very present to this day, even though we've remodeled and my parents are divorced and my dad's remarried and there's, you know, it's redecorated and and the whole place is different. The old woman still is present and she actually scares my stepmom quite frequently. And it was thankfully because of my stepmother validating what my mom and my sister and I and everyone else was always saying, my dad actually um, listened this time. I don't know what it was about the second wife, but she apparently uh, validated that. But uh, the old lady's still there, and she was not scary. She was just there. Mm-hmm. You know, she would just walk through the room. She would just pass through your peripheral. She would just open a few cabinet doors. She would check in you, you know, uh, at bedtime, open the door and close the door. So there was never a moment where you felt frightened of her in any, no. any way? No, no, um, You know, her mouth never moved. The mouth, interestingly enough, it's one of those things that I kind of obsess over um, in trying to differentiate entities, spirits, things that I might think are malicious in nature or otherwise, or maybe, um, you know, alien or, or something like that. The mouth to me is one of those big indicators. Eyes also obviously is a big indicator, but the mouth, you know, she never spoke. Mm-hmm. She never said anything. She never cackled, you know, or anything, or never interacted with you. She was aware of you. She would look at you. She would make eye contact with you. She would move around you if you were sitting in the way. But she never spoke. And so for me, 
I never felt like she was really infringing upon my space. And I felt like we shared that space. So, yeah, it was never negative. And that really kind of was the foundation for a lot of immediately not jumping to a negative impulse when having something strange happen in the home. We had other things come in and come out of the home at night, specifically at night. I don't know what that is about. I will be honest. Um, But specifically at night, it seemed like when the house got quiet, when everyone else was dormant, um, particularly we never noticed if it was a certain moon cycle or whether or not my mom was drinking or, or, or what that pattern was. My sister and I still always talk about it. Um, but there was also something in the hallway and it was only a stretch of about nine feet, shag carpet, low ceilings, average hallway. Um, but there was something about that hallway at night that things, and I say things because I guess I would say more of an elemental, if you believe in such spirits, uh, kind of the malicious kind of puckwudgy gnome, goblin, troll kind of a thing. Uh, It didn't feel alien. It felt very earthly. It didn't feel out of place. It felt very aggressive, assertive, and comfortable. Hmm. It didn't feel like it was beaming in and out of presence. It kind of always felt like it was there, but at night, it was like that was its time to be active. And you would hear footsteps. And if you had to sneak to the bathroom, you always felt something on your heels. And you would hear things knocking at the door. You would see the door handle move, and you would be fearful to go back from the bathroom to your bedroom. And a lot of times at night, that was when people that, you know, my sister and I would have friends stay over and stay the night that they would call home to their parents crying because something woke them up something touched them uh, they saw something peering at them from the hallway it was always something in the hallway and it's funny because now that you know I have the book out people from my childhood that I have not kept in contact with through Facebook have found me have read those chapters and have said oh my god I never told you because I didn't want to sound crazy but oh my god yes and <clears throat> I don't know what that is I don't know what it is but They were very goblin-like, I guess is the best way to describe it. Um, And that was, you know, every night. Every night. And it didn't feel very friendly. I didn't feel unsafe, I guess, uh, now in comparison to my other experiences. But it wasn't welcome. It wasn't welcoming. What was the history of the house? Did did you, was there ever any research that went in to say that, you know, this old lady did live in the house. Yeah. Um, yeah. The old lady was a real lady. The old lady was absolutely a real lady. And I believe she was taken to a nursing home and died in that nursing home. But she stayed in that house. My parents got it, bought it from the bank as she was being removed uh, involuntarily from the home. Okay. And so all of her items were still there. Much of her stuff was still present. My parents had to do a lot of the cleaning. And my mom said that she felt like the lady was probably mentally ill because there were paths that were worn into the carpet uh, in certain parts of the home where you could tell she was circling and paths around the house, Uh, the wallpaper. There was magazine clippings that she used as homemade wallpaper that were like inches thick in some places that they had to peel off. And the front Uh, Over the front porch, she had been, I guess, for years throwing her vacuum contents from her vacuum cleaner over the front of the porch. So, there were like these heaps of dust and soot and, I don't know, just weird little things that my mom had said. You know, I felt like maybe she wasn't a well woman, but she, you know, obviously stayed up until the end of her 
you know, life there and didn't want to leave. So my mom always kind of exchanged that story and we felt like maybe that's why she still lingered and, you know, it was kind of a sad thing. Yeah, it's a little disturbing in a way to think about the fact that just someone that is mentally ill and lives their life in that state and then they pass on and then they're still just kind of doing the same thing that they were doing day after day and not even knowing that things have changed and they've moved on. Right. It's a little unsettling. It is unsettling. And, and, you know, when you guys talk about on your show, the altered consciousness and the different states of, of of being, you know, you kind of have to wonder, uh, I always really enjoyed certain parts of the matrix for when they're talking about how you assess your reality and whether or not it's, you know, really something that's you're touching or whether or not it's your synaptic gaps, you know, just firing and telling you that you're touching something that perhaps during a state of mental illness, we lose touch with the physical body. You know, so many mental illness um, individuals, they, they, they lose their hygiene, they lose certain things and become attached to routine. Um, and it's that routine that grounds them. You know, whether it be the light switch or whether it be their home or whether it be certain people and and those certain things that give them comfort become that focus. It makes you wonder if a certain part of the detachment from the reality leaves them there after their physical body dies, you know, that it's a state of mental illness, Um, which I think in some cases could be true. It's hard to say. There, there was one experience um, that you had in the house that you write about, you write about separately in the book, okay. and that is something that you did not describe as sleep paralysis, that you felt like it was more real, but it has uh, a sleep paralysis kind of elements to it. Um, and you felt like there was some kind of similarity there to an alien abduction event as well. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. And, and there's a few different stories in the book about that, but I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about the one when I'm younger yes. and the things come out of the hallway. Yes. Um, the things, yeah. No, it, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a unique experience because so much of it is so vivid. And I think, like you mentioned with uh, the similarities with sleep paralysis, is, is that you're very much awake. You're very much aware. You're not in that hypnagogic state. You're not in that between sleep or, you know, between waking and wakefulness. You're very much alert and and your adrenaline kicks in. So then at that point, you're questioning what you're seeing. You know, your heart rate's going up, your pupils are dilating, things are happening. At least for me now, looking back on the experience, I'm wondering, what am am I trying to rationalize here? Um, but, But yes, being under the sheets, and I remember running out of oxygen and being so fearful to pull the sheets down because you could just feel the presence of something on the other side. About how old were you at that time? About five, five or six. Um, And I remember the fly with me and being under the sheets and me wanting to let him go and, and me remember him feeling him crawling across my nose and crawling across my face and feeling the fly and knowing this is happening and I'm awake and this is real. And not screaming, not really being able to scream, not really being able to call out, really being fearful that whatever Mm -hmm. was right on the other side of the covers was, you know, would get me far, far before anyone could reply. You know, so even at that age, I stayed very quiet. Um, And then when I finally ran out of oxygen, you finally get to that point where you're breathing heavy and you're kind of sweating and 
you just tell yourself, I just got to look, and you close your eyes and pull the sheets down, and you open your eyes, you know. And nothing's there. And nothing's there. What? Or maybe something is there still. What did? What was it that you? What was it that you saw uh, coming towards you? Well, on a very off chance that this would reach somebody, my reference, my closest reference, um, and I have two. One's a little bit more popular, but the first is there was this show growing up called the Wow Wow Wibble Wagga Wazzy Woodle Woo, <laughs> and <laughs> I know it's a mouthful, but if you've seen it, you understand it. There's a whole song, and um, the Wow Wow Wibble Wagga Wazzy Woodle Woo show had these creatures in the swamp, uh-huh. and it looked kind of like these swamp creatures. They were bigger in size, you know, eight. Eight and a half feet tall, uh, very close to the top of the ceiling, very large, um, almost like if a if a porcupine creature was, you know, or like critters, maybe even. Um, but it looked like a Jim Henson creation because it was very uh, inhuman looking. It didn't look like it moved correctly or that it was fluid in its skin and had a lot of texture that I wasn't familiar with. It wasn't feathers or spines or skin or scales. It was something else. Um, almost like a liquid, almost like a smoke. Um, like you couldn't touch it if you wanted to, but it was there. And it had color and it had smell. And it was very just pugnant and in every sense, you know, intuitive and feeling and smelling and seeing and hearing. And then just Gone. Was this a show that you were watching at the time, or was this something that you later on equated with that? You know, I had probably seen the show, was watching it at the time, and I watched that show, gosh, up until I was probably 13 or 14. It was one of my favorites, because it's a musical. Yeah. So I kind of always went back to it and would play it. And, and of course, VHS days, you only had so many VHS. So that came on. I had recorded Family Dog by Tim Burton and Danny Elfman, their first collaboration, and I watched Family Dog. And my cat came back from the HBO um, waiting for a movie to start. And the Wow Wow Wibble Wagga Wazzy Woodle Woo. And that was my VHS tape that I rewatched. <laughs> okay. Frequently. <laughs> it, it's, it's interesting how um, kids in that age, because I've had personal experiences of myself from around probably four or five years old that I can remember. Um, like I remember being four years old and hearing voices above my bed. Uh, I would typify the house that I grew up in was kind of haunted as well. Um, although it never felt like it was a anything sinister. I think kind of kind of similar to what you know the place that you grew up in. Yeah, just a neutral. I kind of just right. say it's a neutral haunting. Right, <laughs> and, and, and but it's interesting that it's usually t- it's children of that certain age that will experience these kind of things. Well, and I think some cultures believe that it has to do with some linear belief that you're closer to the veil, Mm -hmm. you know, right before you die and right after your birth. Um, You know, some people believe it's just conditioning, you know, that whether or not you believe that you're taught what's real and what's not and what that what that really is and how much of your parents have to do with that. You know, if your culture teaches you that hearing voices and interacting with pets and talking to things that aren't there as a as a as a gift 
then you continue to do it and, and it grows stronger. But if you're taught that that's just not normal behavior or maybe that that's an imaginary friend or that that's a phase and that you don't get any positive reinforcement or attention from it, you don't do it anymore. Right. You know, and it's hard to really say, you know, and obviously we can't do a whole lot of research at least in America, just for humane purposes of following children long-term that have uh, experiences. But Chip Coffee and I always have this kind of conversation usually when we meet up because he worked on psychic kids. Mm -hmm. And now that show is no longer active. And those kids are grown up, adult, getting married, having kids of their own. And they still stay in contact with Chip and, and have very unique stories to tell. Right. That, you know, whether or not they got positive or negative feedback from being on the show, how they're um, intuition has grown or kind of been phased out. So, but, but, I, but also children, I know speaking in that adolescence, they say it's a hormonal thing. They say they, whoever knows who they are, um, <clears throat> you know, that poltergeist is usually young females going through puberty. It's a sexual projection. Yeah. Um, you know, and I also love, um, I love that children, have a different range of vision that they can see slightly into the infrared zone. I've heard that as well. Um, or that their hearing, their hearing aid, their hearing hasn't been penetrated enough to where they are kind of in a tinnitus range and can hear and uh, experience lower and higher frequencies than normal. Um, but I also had night terrors right around that age okay. from about 20, 20 months old to I think about eight or nine years old. I had really bad night terrors. So, Sometimes I kind of wonder how much of that might be related, you know. Right, right. It's hard to say. It, it, it makes me wonder, too, if this, whatever it was that appeared to you, would have appeared to you in a way that it felt was familiar to you in that context of those characters from that television show. Yeah, and that whether no, there was yeah. any ever any kind of malicious intent, or whether it just said, "Okay, well, Sarah's here. She likes this TV show. I'm just going <clears> to <throat> appear that way," not knowing right. that it would actually scare you. No, absolutely. I think that's a really viable theory, and a lot of times i I like to think that. I like to think that the intention would be to appear as something familiar, because then that kind of gives you this idea that there's positive intention, and also that what you're experiencing is conscious, aware, and intelligent. Right. Um, and, and I typically tend to bend that way. Um, I, do think, I do think the human intuition to automatically kind of feel prey versus predator, there's definitely one end of the spectrum you feel in some of those situations. And I think that has to bend to a higher intelligence. So... I would agree with you. So, so, something weird just happened right when you were saying that Rob has a Millennium Falcon hanging up from the uh, ceiling of the studio ah! here, and the thing just fell. Yeah, there I, you go. I had one hanging from the ceiling. I just... Synchronicity, people. Time travelers, aliens. Who's to say? Who knows, right? Well, speaking of entities disguising themselves, you have another story in the book that is not a positive experience. And in this case, it may be something that is malicious trying to dis to disguise itself as something benevolent. Uh, and that is yes. the, where you talk about in my grand, in my grandpa's skin. And in this, my this was a, this is a freaky story. 
the most popular story by far. Um, I think it's the one that lingers with people. It's the one that um, I think is most intimate. I think obviously because most people can empathize. Most people have a positive grandfather figure or someone that they look up to. And the more and more I talk about the story, more and more I get to process it because for so long I didn't allow myself to process it. I think when you work in the paranormal, you work in a spiritual realm, you work in the psychology field, you feel like what you talk about, what you think about manifests. I believe that so many cultures talk about that, you know, whether it's the Egyptian Ka or whether it's, you know, a, a legacy of sorts that what you talk about, what you write about, what you, you know, put out there, it exists because you have given it attention. Right. And so for a long time, I thought, I don't know how I feel about this. So I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it because it wasn't very positive. Um, so, but the book has been really cathartic in that sense. It's forced me to talk about it, like just like right now. And in my grandfather's skin, just if for those of you who have not read the story, shame on you. Get the book. Um, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and read it and tell me your thoughts because I love feedback. Um, but in my grandfather's skin was probably for me, I would say... I've had hundreds of paranormal encounters that I felt were valid, that were real, that were truthfulness, that were something I couldn't explain. And maybe maybe three of them would I say, absolutely, without a doubt, maybe there was a presence of evil. Yeah. And this was one of those cases because for me, I was home alone, me and my cat, getting ready for my day. At that time, I was working two or three jobs. I was going to college. I was like 22, <clears throat> um, living with my roommate. Um, it was like 2 o'clock. The sun was shining through the window. I had my radio going. I'm getting dressed, and I'm brushing my teeth. And my duplex was kind of active. We had a lot of like cabinets slamming and the fireplace turning on and off and lights flickering a lot. Um, but we really, a lot of, mostly in our kitchen, but nothing I ever felt nervous about. And so here I was two o'clock in the afternoon, brushing my teeth, the cat's in there with me rubbing around my foot. Um, and I see something out of my peripheral and I'm thinking, okay, it's going to happen. Whatever has been haunting this duplex is finally going to show itself to me. And I, you know, there's nothing, it's not a big deal. Uh, and then I see something kind of again in my peripheral and you get that feeling that you get, you know, when you're walking up the basement stairs, you get that feeling of like, oh shit, yeah. I'm unsafe. I'm unsafe. You know, where you start pulling for your mace when you're walking to your car in the parking garage and someone's 27 feet behind you. You know, you feel like I'm, I'm at risk. There's a threat here. Instantly you start getting the goosebumps and I look over and I don't want to look. Suddenly I don't want to look because it's no longer just darting. It's there. It's 11 feet away at the end of the hallway over my right shoulder. I'm brushing my teeth, staring at myself in the mirror, talking to myself. Sarah, you can do this. Just look at it. Look at it. You've seen ghosts before. You've seen things before. Look at it. You know, tell it to get out if you feel threatened. And, I'm, and I put my toothbrush down and I look over and the, it was my grandpa. And I was very, very close with my grandfather, and he passed in 06. And I, you know, doing psychic work and seeing things on occasion, I, I had always hoped that he would show himself, that I would get an opportunity 
to connect with my grandfather. You know, secretly, every time I went and talked with Chip or talked with the Perrys or talked with somebody who I knew had really did have good intuition to maybe talk with someone on the other side, I was always secretly hoping they'd shake my hand and go, oh, there's Francis, you know, and tell me some intimate story. I still hope for that. But I looked at my grandfather and I I knew it wasn't him. Mm. And I said, Grandpa? And I stood there with my feet kind of just barely touching over the liner between the anoleum and the carpet. And I watched this thing move. And it didn't really have feet. It was more kind of knees up and it was very tall and very lanky. My grandfather wasn't very tall and lanky. He was more short and stocky. And it's moving almost like it's on a, you know, thing from the airport. Slowly towards me. And... I felt so unsafe and so scared and knowing that it was using the image of my grandfather was so offensive that immediately I knew that it was there maliciously because why else would it do that? And it did seem very intelligent and it backed me into the bathroom and, you know, the rest you'll have to read about in the story, but it was by far one of the worst experiences uh, just because of how it continued to interact with me. And because to this day, if I were to see my grandfather appear before me at the foot of my bed, if I were to finally have that thing I've always wished for something very intimate to happen, you know what my first response would be? It would probably be like, is this thing back? Exactly. Is it back? And so to me, that is demonic. To me, yeah. that is demonic, and that is evil. To uh, to taint something so pure, um, to me, is very, very, very unfair and selfish. And, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I begin to categorize evil, is the, the intention and the long-lasting effect that it leaves. One of the things I hear about a lot from evangelical Christian sources, and, and there are some that <clears throat> don't look at it this way, uh, they say that anything that is supernatural and especially ghosts, anything that is, um, it it could all just be demons posing uh, as a loved one, even if the situation is good. Apparently it's part of the master plan. So do you think that had you actually not felt this sense of danger, do you think that this thing would have, and it felt like, that you didn't know that it wasn't grandpa, that it would have been, that it would have tried to make it a better experience. But once it figured out that, that you were onto it, then it became a horrific experience. I don't know. You know, I think that it it felt so invasive. I don't think even my own thoughts were off limits. You know, I feel like it knew exactly how to penetrate, um, to disarm you for a, for for a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's that. That was a very interesting story in the book. I mean, it really, really got me thinking whether or not it you had seen through it instantly, and it then it became a malicious, uh, a malicious experience, right. And very well could be. I think sometimes, um, you know, a lot of times in the paranormal realm, people argue about whether or not you should um, 
yell or or holler or scream and and be negative at spirits and say come on out spirits you know Um, whether you should stir things up but I do think that there's a sense of honest interaction I think that entities that do have a malicious intent I do think they're very rare you know when we talk about Christian and evangelical belief systems and uh, certain just basic Christian belief systems that so much is demonic I I really don't give much credence to that but that's just my personal belief system but I think it's rare but I do think it's possible I, I don't I'm not a Sith. I don't say anything, nothing, or, you know, absolutes. Um, I kind of leave it open. But I think that when you get on that playing field for just a moment, or they know you're there and you know they're there, it's that it's that old saying. It's it's that Nietzsche, you know, when you look into the abyss, the abyss looks into you. Right. And there's a certain intimacy there of, of immediate connection. And I don't think all entities want that connection. Sure. And they're kind of pissed that, you've even attempted to make it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think definitely think that there, there is good and there is evil. And then there's probably also neutral. Yeah. Oh, that, for sure. That, that do not care one way or the other. <clears throat> don't want to be bothered. All, all that stuff for right. sure. Right. Let, let's talk a little bit about uh, the experience that you had on coffee road. Uh, that one was, was interesting as well because uh, do you think you really had an encounter with a with a hellhound? Ooh, I don't know. I think some of the what people experience when they have the hellhound um, experience, I think, are similar. Um, I've talked with cryptozoologists in the area about what maybe it was that I experienced. You know, maybe it was something that I just was unfamiliar with. You know, maybe, you know, what 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 were their encounters with Bigfoot or Thunderbirds or or whatever? Um, very open to to just maybe it just being a creature because it's a very wooded and forested area. But I don't believe in coincidence. I don't subscribe to that. Uh, I just kind of came to that realization one day of how many fact, you know, how many coincidences make a fact. I'm just not going to subscribe to it. Um, I kind of more or less my spirituality is based on synchronicity, validation of just how many cool occurrences cross my path on a given day. And I do believe there's a a big connection to things. And so when I look at that experience, that's how I build that experience back is not only the history, maybe, of course, my suggestive response to the history that I knew about and going into a a scenario wanting to prove something, going into that experience with a long history, a wanting, a yearning to want to have an experience. I think that contributes. Um, But from the symptoms of that encounter, I think a hellhound is a possibility. I think I think the more I learn about that area, because it's still very active and some really interesting uh, construction is happening right now, um, uh, privately, ooh, uh, digging and such, <laughs> ooh, X-Files, um, I think that it, it might be more of an alien thing. Huh. Okay. To be honest. And I definitely want to get to those experiences later, <laughs> for <laughs> okay. sure, because that's right We're up our, them in there. that's right up our alley. But let's, uh, let's talk about before we get to that though. I want to talk about an experience that you had with what you typify as an attachment. Um, okay. How did this come about for you, and what were the effects of this attachment on your life? Oh yeah. Well, I think that's, of course, how we maybe diagnose 
attachment, right? Is yeah. what are the effects that it has on your life? Right. And um, and that's what makes an attachment so difficult is coincidence, whether or not you subscribe to that, validation, synchronicity, the pile up of the effect it has on your life. And of course, as you're uh, having the quicksand, spiritual, emotional, physical quicksand of life hit you, bombard you, and just constant turbulence <clears throat> from every direction, you feel very lost. You start wondering if you're mentally ill. You start wondering if it's something going on in your life. You know, you start blaming it on finances. You start really struggling. You start, things start to really bother you. Maybe you start to get anxiety. Maybe you start to think you have depression. Maybe you start self-medicating. Mm -hmm. People around you don't want to be around you because you're negative. You know, you and your spouse start to argue. Things don't, things don't work out right. And it's a snowball, right? And so at first, it's very difficult to say when it starts, and you try and you think and you look back on it and you go, good God, when did this start? And it was, of course, very difficult for me because I worked around and with so many active cases in a short period of time right. that I've kind of narrowed it down to a few that I think could be the source, whether or not you even believe there is such a thing. Can you pick up an attachment? Do you believe in an attachment? What is an attachment, right? Well, I think an attachment is a, is a conscious energy that maybe wants to hitch a ride and, and much like energy acts on a quantum level, of course, we now know that it acts however it wants to act. So maybe it's a negative energy that wants to attach to you because you're positive, or maybe it's a negative energy that attaches to you because you're negative. Maybe you go into a, a paranormal investigation and you're a vulnerable, you know, unstable atom shaking at the very core and spiritually the other um, atoms in the area come to stabilize you, and they just so happen to be negative. You know, who's to say what information is brought with them, and where it comes from, and what the source is, and how it begins to accumulate in your life, and how it, you know, projects. But I, I guess it would be similar in a way biologically to a virus, right? Because right. a virus is considered just a strand or a of parasite. A strand I would say of a parasite. right, or a strand of DNA until it actually infects a host. Then it becomes something that is alive. Right, very much so. It's and it's a it's a, it's a very symbiotic relationship like right. that. You know, I and and I I kind of think of it maybe like a parasite or a tapeworm or something. It's like. You know, you just are maybe vulnerable at that time, and it's maybe just the the wrong sushi with the wrong immune system, and you just so happen to not notice it for some time, and it grows. Um, but it's hard to always pinpoint the source. But for me, I knew I definitely had a negative attachment when other people around me started to validate the experience psychically when, you know, I was just having a really shitty time in my life. And people that I would seek help from would say, that's life. Life is a roller coaster. Life gets hard. Life gets tough. You're just in a bad spot. You're just in a rut. You know, it'll get yeah. better. It always does. And so, of course, you're hearing that and you're struggling and stuff's just, you know, your car's breaking down. You know, your relationships are going to crap. You know, you don't, you don't have any motivation. You start wondering if you're depressed. For me, I was going through a uh, you know, I was in cancer remission, and my I was having issues. I was having complications. I was having to go through tests that it might be back. You know, my health was struggling, and I was really getting a lot of bad news. 
and I'm going to these cases, ironically, maybe, synchronicity, maybe, that I was doing an exorcism um, in Illinois and that I was doing uh, a case in Jefferson City that was horrific. Animals were cannibalizing each other and strange things were happening. The man was, you know, mutilating himself and there was a lot of really, you know, crazy mental health issues going on, but also strange phenomenon. Um, I was working that case. I was working the exorcism case and I was working a few um private cases with a paranormal team who the guy in the team was turns out to be just a very negative person and a lot of things kind of spread from that and it just again was like this fester this snowball and a lot of things came to a head when psychic friends would email me all like we're talking like people that I don't talk to maybe once every two years people you talk to on Facebook briefly but you never really call you know, those people. We're not talking about the Psychic Friends Network, right? We're talking about no, no, friends no, no, no. that are psychic. Right, okay. friends that are psychic. Friends right. that are friends of my mom's growing up that I worked, Psychic Fair, PRS Fair, Parapsychological Association, people at the KPU in Scotland. Psychic people that do a lot of interesting research that are very intuitive people that I trust. You know, that I talk to once every few years. Suddenly I have 11 inbox messages from people that I would categorize, you know, there, saying, Sarah, are you okay? I'm having dreams about you. I'm getting a weird sensation. Hey, Sarah, I'm looking at your MySpace uh, profile picture, and I can't help but see a figure behind you. Are you having a haunting? Hey, Sarah, did you work a case recently where something followed you home? Something's around you. You need to do a cleansing. Hey, Sarah. Like, And I kept getting them over and over and over. It was starting to freak me out. And I, I went and worked an alternative health fair here in Minnesota, and somebody came up to me, approached me, and said, you know, I'm a, I'm a shaman, and I do cord cutting, and you need work. I'm pulling you out. You need work. It's free. It's on me. You just – you can't be walking around like this. And – did a bunch of stuff and it just like weird things, you know, coincidence. No, it was synchronicity. These weird things kept happening. And, um, after strangely, after some cord cutting, and then I took her card and met with someone else who did a, a chakra cleansing. And then I went and talked to a friend of mine who does didgeridoo frequency healing, which I kind of give more credence to. And it was fun. And so he did some work for me. And it was like every few days I would run into someone who was like, here, let me do a free cleansing for you. Here, Sarah, here's a bottle of misting spray lavender oil. It'll help cleanse you. Everybody was giving me these cleansing things. And um, shortly after, the priest that did the exorcism I worked passed away. And... Uh, a few of the people that were working the case started having some issues. I think you wanted to maybe mention a few of them. And I luckily had friends that came out of the woodwork that weren't intimidated or scared to say something to me and that gave credence to that something was happening. And enough people reached out and gave me their weird alternative methods that it went away. Hmm. So there you go. That was my attachment. But weird stuff happened. I mean, like, mm-hmm. four four people died that were very close to me. I yeah. think two cars got totaled. I mean, just weird stuff. Just weird stuff. And that's how it works. It's just – it just happens. And it's mm-hmm. everything. It's mm-hmm. just your whole life is in chaos. Where do you think you picked it – where do you think you picked, <clears throat> you picked it up at um, from where, – where do you think that it happened to you? I think that I picked it up at the exorcism. Okay. And I think that uh, I, I grossly fed it a lot of energy from the case I was working in Jefferson City. Okay. Because that case still kind of lingers with me, and it never got solved, um, ever. Right. And 
So that is still something I think that lingers with me. And for that reason, I think there's a little credence to just how much it impacted me. Um, And so I think that that did not help. But I think originally speaking, I think it came from that case and not necessarily that person being exercised. Sure. I think it came from the people working the case with me and just the vortex of people that swarmed to that case in a matter of a year or two years. From the atmosphere itself, basically. Yes. Yes. Okay. This is the question that I wanted to ask. Um, Last week, we had talked about Ryan Buell and what is going on with him. Mm -hmm. Um, Talked about how he is basically for lack of a better term, ripped off people for the tune of $80,000, uh, mm-hmm. got uh, arrested. I think he's been released, as I understand. Uh, he's out on bail. Uh, there was all this stuff that went on for about a few years about him having pancreatic cancer. He would charge for these uh, events that he would have and then at the last minute use the cancer excuse as a means to pull out of them. Uh, right. So there was all this speculation for the longest time that he was just that he was taking money from people, and a lot of it was speculation until a few weeks ago, until he was actually arrested for it. Um, right. His mother has come out on Facebook and said, "Do not enable him. He is an addict." And really, the picture of him, the mugshot, the guy does not look good. I mean, right. he looks, he, the guy is in his 30s. He looks like he's 50 something years old. So it's obvious that he has some kind of substance problem. Right. Now, that being said, he always maintained in the show that he had some demon after him. Now, I don't right. know if that was narrative from the show. We, we went over this last week. Right. No, actually, I, I, you know, I can interject there and that yeah. my experiences with Ryan. So, okay. So my brief, uh, I'll give you just a very short kind of timeline. I met Ryan in 07 when we were working on the United Paranormal Conference, the UPC. And it was something between Penn State and the Parapsychological Association and a few different people like MUFON was there, Dave Schrader was there, um, you know, Bill Chappell. All these people were there and they were, quote unquote, I'm using my fingers in the air, experts in the field. Um, coming together with a group of students to provide a nonprofit through Penn State kind of secondary program online forum for PRS. Because PRS was actually a scholarly club and still is there at Penn State. Right. And so I was in contact with Ryan because, and this was before the show, um, it had gotten word to me I was going to um, – Missouri, and I really wanted them to fund a club. I wanted to see if I could get, you know, because a lot of that expense, that's equ- equipment is expensive. And I was like, why can't this be an extension of the, the transpersonal cognitive science? Why can't we have this? And I had some professors on board, and I wanted Ryan's um, advice because he got funded. And not a lot of schools in our nation are going to fund something like that. And they funded it well, and they allowed him to take it to A&E and yeah. for A&E to work with them. So which is why it was paranormal state. It was kind of a play on Penn State. So, but anyway, before the show, we were doing the UPC. I was trying to get paperwork from him. He was very cordial, very shy, very introverted person. It was kind of funny later that he got this television show because he was really such a shy, you know, him and Sergi both, you know, um, behind the camera kind of people. Uh, Katrina, you know, Heather's in a band. That whole, that whole group of them, uh, Ryan was not 
the extrovert by any means. He seemed like it from uh, the show, though. Very much he so. did, yeah. right. He seemed like this leader, front man, um, uh, which I think w- was part of the show. I think that's part of the editing, you know, that sure. he needs to do this. Um, but he had a great voice, great, uh, great photojournalistic background. You know, I think his dad was a cop. He shared some of his personal stories. And we went out and had beer and we drank and we stayed in contact for a long while until he started working um, with a certain person doing kind of extra um, film work, extra side stuff. Um, with someone who was kind of well-known to be active in drugs and Mm -hmm. in that drug community. And that kind of put a riff in some of the PRS community, some of the professional community, some of the people that were friends, close friends, and business partners that said, you know, I'm just not okay with the extra lifestyle behaviors. I'm not okay with some of the people you're associating with, as talented as they may be, as wonderful of people as they might be. Um, Some of their lifestyle choices aren't necessarily uh, positive and supporting. And you're trying to work with the Vatican, Ryan. You know, you're a published author, Ryan. You need to be making good decisions, Ryan. Uh, And Ryan really wasn't listening, you know, at that point. And Ryan really distanced himself uh, from me, from my friend Mally, from a lot of us, um, you know, Dave Schrader, people in the community. Um, He just distanced himself. He didn't, he was working with other people and it seemed to be very close collaborative friendship. But now we're kind of learning as more an addiction relationship, more of that dealer user relationship. And um, that, of course, does not come as a surprise to any of us who were aware of that shift in his lifestyle. It was sad, um, but I think the saddest part is that how many people knew about it and continued to work with him and continued to enable him and continued to say, you know, here, I got your drugs. Right. Now, I, now the camera's rolling. I think that he um, was taken advantage of. I don't think that Ryan is as evil as people might think. I don't think that he maliciously was like, I'm going to plan these events, then I'm going to stage cancer, and then I'm going to pull out, and then I'm just going to laugh my way to the bank because he's a smart person, and he's a good person. Um, But I think maybe he found himself in positions where people were saying, hey, I just gave you a bundle of such and such and you owe me this and I've done this and this with you and you, you know, didn't pay me for my services. And he's saying, wait a minute, I thought we were friends. And somebody's saying, you know, maybe we're not friends and you owe me. And now he's got issues. And I don't know if he did or did not have cancer. I don't know that. Uh, His mom really didn't touch much on that. Um, But legally, that's not going to matter. You know, yeah, no, no, it's it's legally it, it doesn't even matter. It's not, but I mean, <laughs> pancreatic cancer is such a hard, horrible disease, and it's a hard thing to come back from. Oh, and, sure. and I'm, Most and I'm people sure don't survive it. exactly. Like, yeah, I mean, Patrick Swayze. I mean, you know, he died of you know the guy wasted away from pancreatic cancer. Right. And I mean, to use that as an excuse, it's it seems it's, stupid. It's pretty crappy. Right. And so and so for that, there's kind of like man, maybe did he? I don't know. I don't know. I do hope for him that, you know, he gets better. And I hope that the people, you know, I was one of those people, but I knew many people who paid and invested much, 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 much more um, into an event and it didn't happen. It didn't come to fruition and friendships were lost and bad things were said and things were being put online that, you know, can never be taken back. And it's sad and it's, it's sad, but do I think it was attachment related? No, I don't. I think that, and from speaking from experience, when you have an attachment, as horrible as it might be, when you have a mental illness, as horrible as it might be, when you have an addiction, as horrible as it might be, uh, you're still held accountable for your actions. Hmm. But let's talk about the Constantinos in this light as well. Um, Okay. 
what do you think about them? What happened there? Uh, from <coughs> what I have heard, and a lot of this comes from Darkness Radio, listening to today talk about it, is that they had a very contentious relationship. Uh, there was a lot of abuse. Uh, a, lot, a lot of it seemed to come from her. Um, right. I just can't help when we were dealing with and we know that this is ha- that these things happen because it has happened to you and it's happened to other- Stephen Lachance. It's happened to other people in the paranormal community of these attachments and these things happening. And I think when you're dealing in this world, you are leaving you 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 are leaving yourself advertently or inadvertently open to this happening. Uh, right. But in that case, do you think that there was anything like that for the Constantinos? Right. I think it probably played into it for sure. Um, just because, okay, so my brief experience, I know we're cutting to the end here, but I've got to <clears throat> talk about this. So um, yeah. the, I met the Constantinos through Dave, through Dave Schrader and through darkness events. Cause I, I love working those events and I've had the honor of going to many of them. And I met the Constantinos at an event. I also met them at the Sally house when um, I was there doing an investigation at the Sally house. Um, I've met them at conferences many, many times. You know, a lot of times you go out to dinner before and after you hang out, you're, I've been on flights with her and airport overlays with them and traveled in the same shuttle from Denver international airport to Estes park for the Stanley. You know, there's been a lot of interaction. <clears throat> Um, and usually it was me, uh, sitting with Debbie, you know, all the girls in the same car, all the girls going to wine, all the girls going to get fudge, you know, all of us hanging out. (laughs) Um, but occasionally it was them interacting together and those interactions were not ever pleasant. They were never positive ever. (laughs) And it was very mutual. It was a mutual, very self-destructive, very abusive relationship. The most frequent and recent one that I remember since their death was, uh, an event where they were actually leaving early. We were driving them to the airport early. They were quitting the event early because they had a fight that was public. They were, had both been drinking and there was screaming and Debbie was throwing stuff and it was out of hand. And she looked like, you know, those crazy people that uh, rappers rap about. I mean, she just looked out of control. And he, of course, was feeding it, you know, yeah. and just screaming right back at her. And it just looked like right. a domestic issue, you know. Right. And um, they really didn't care who saw at that point. And the next day, they were quitting. They had lectures to do and investigations, people that paid to come see them. They were going to the airport. And she cried the whole way. They had to take separate shuttles, and they took different flights. And I don't know what happened when they got home. Obviously, good stuff wasn't happening. But, I mean, I remember that whole ride, her just, you know, crying and sobbing. And But she reeked of alcohol. And so you're like, man, uh, you know, what do you expect? And, it, and so it's, for me, it's, it's pouring fuel onto a fire, essentially. Right. When you right. have that relationship, but both that kind of relationship, that – that contentious, that abusive to each other, and then you just – but you both decide, hey, I'm just going to get drunk and be even more abusive to and my spend all significant of our other. Time, and spend all of our spare time talking about demonic entities yeah. and negative entities and what could be haunting you. Right. I think that sometimes there's a preoccupation there. I, I, you see a lot of strange obsession in the EVP realm where people just, you know, you go into their house and yes. there's just cassette tapes stacked everywhere because it becomes a strange obsession, this interaction of sorts. And I think that they had that. I do. And I think when you share an obsession with someone, it's just like an addiction. It's like two people at a pipe, you know, and I don't think it helped. I don't think that it was the cause. I don't think it was the source, but I don't think it helped. Well, definitely surrounding yourself with any kind of negativity is never good. I mean, whether that is because, you know, 
I, I said it last week too, but like, you know, I got into the EVP stuff pretty hard myself. I didn't do yeah. recordings, but I would listen to things. This was around 2006, 2007. Ghost hunting and all that stuff was very popular then. I got into it pretty hard. And I can remember being very freaked out because my wife said she's cleaning in the mirror in the bathroom in the apartment that we lived in. And she felt something push her. And she fell. Ooh. And when she told me that, I... I stopped at that point. I stopped listening to it. I, you know, I was like, okay, this is a little strange that I'm doing this. And I really felt like I was bringing something in by just even listening and becoming obsessed because like with a Ouija board, it's not necessarily the board. It's just a piece of cardboard and a, and another piece of cardboard over it. You know, I think it's It's the the energy and the intention that you put into it. Yeah, it is. I, I agree. I think it's the intention. I think that that, and I think it's that way with everything in life, yeah. your intention, you know, what you put into it. Right. I think that it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. So, Rob, was yeah. anything you wanted to add to that? No, I was just going to say what you guys both just said. It's just the intent. <laughs> the intent. The energy behind it, you know. Right. Yeah. Before we go, let's talk about your alien abduction Okay. Or what, are you, you're not really certain that there is an alien abduction involved, but you do kind of dance around it in the book, but you're not entirely sure what, it, what happened to you there. Right. Well, and it's strange and, <clears throat> excuse me, it's definitely very <clears throat> reactive in a sense that you have to kind of decipher backwards what's going on and what, why you think you're having these. And I, I remember it specifically. I remember having a lot of strange alien dreams, a lot of repetitive reoccurring dreams, certain things associated with those dreams, sterile coldness, um, a sense of invasion, <clears throat> a sense of invasion, um, some irrational fears to my closet, some irrational fears to a spot in our backyard, some irrational fears to parasites going to the doctor. Um, weird little synchronicities, again, that, you know, come about. And the dream, having this thing come through my window as a young child, it's, it's funny now as a parent because I don't really think that children remember those dreams. You know, my son mm. has night terrors like I do. And now he's four, and he doesn't really remember them if I bring them right. up or talk about it. You know, it's not a, it's not something that was an imprint. It wasn't traumatic enough, I guess, despite how scary it was at the time, to, to stay there. and Or he just doesn't retrieve it. But for me, I've always been able to retrieve it because it's always there, and it's always very present. And it just so happens to be a back window that my sister had told me recently. She was like, it's funny because I read your book and uh, we kind of talked about it. And she said, before you were born, because we're eight years apart. She's like, before you were born, your room is my room. Yeah. And I used to see things out of that back window. She didn't see what I saw. She saw something different. She saw an owl. Oh, oh. okay. <laughs> Which, of course, you know, I'm like, oh, really? Uh-huh. She saw an owl. I saw a, t- a pterodactyl type thing. Um, but the same kind of thing, you know, coming through that window in particular and the same part of the yard. Um, and yeah, I definitely feel like if I have to categorize it, that was probably my most alien experience. It's interesting that you bring the owls up because have you ever heard of, uh, have you ever heard of Mike Cleland? Are you familiar with him? No. He uh he's written a we had him on earlier this year. He's written a book called <clears throat> The Messengers where he talks about 
people that are alien abductees or alien contactees, not just the owl screen memory, which I'm sure you're familiar with, but right. that, but people or that, the fourth kind, the movie, re, the yeah, kind. yeah, the fourth kind, people that have these experiences, also having encounters with real owls. Yeah, a, a highly recommended book called The Messengers. The Messenger. Very good. Ooh, I'm going to get that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Because, yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of those, and it's funny what people think that the owl is their totem animal or that see the owl often. They are usually, again, yeah, the mm-hmm. alien abduction. Because I do alien abduction regressions and hypnosis. Really? And, and those, yes, I do. And those people, the, the, the items and the totems that they, you know, see, there's definitely patterns. There's definitely correlations that you just at some point are like, what? Like numer- like the numerology, this, the repetitive numbers, seeing certain numbers and uh-huh. having certain things uh, reappear at certain times or time loss, having a lot of time loss, um, certain things like that, you know, ovarian issues, fertilization issues, sperm issues, sexual issues, aversions that, you know, you can't quite make sense about, mm-hmm. um, erectile dysfunction, all sorts of strange things that are just right on target with people who are alien abductees. What is your, uh, what do you think the nature of the phenomenon is? Do you think we're dealing with actual flesh and blood aliens? Are we dealing with something that is more internal? I think it might be flesh and blood aliens, to be quite honest, as crazy as that might sound. I do think that because of the, the sci-fi movement, the collective unconscious of, of, what people across cultures have said and stories have told and hieroglyphs are drawn and folklore that exists. I just think that uh, it's so separate from ourselves. You know, I think it's, it's very human to think of a God and to give the sun, you know, to have these, you look at mythology and you see a lot of patterns and repetitious type things and thoughts that we, we've got to have something greater than ourselves and we've got to, yeah. you know, be able to externalize our guilt and be forgiven and yada, yada. We have all these strange little things, but the alien doesn't really quite fit in. And so there's the sense of maybe we've created it for all those things that don't quite make sense yet. Mm-hmm. No, I see where but you're then, going with this. Yeah, but 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 then when you do that, that would be a self defense mechanism, right? And self defense mechanisms usually aren't negative in nature. They usually don't, you know, give people paralysis and the negative adverse things that we see. Um, and there's just there's just too many experiences, uh, military especially, I think, and military documents that other countries. Let's come on, America, get with it. By the way, uh, <laughs> other countries, France. You know, the UK, uh, Russia even, has released their X-Files to their people. Yeah. And they blatantly say, we have contact with other species. And they live here among us. And we interact with them. And we barter with them. Some people think that's the missing children link, you know? Yeah. We allow so many abductions. The missing 411 <laughs> stuff. Right. Yeah. But and there's all sorts of conspiracies and theories and reptilians and Illuminati and Sumerians <laughs> and all this stuff, Nephilim and crazy watchers and you can just go all sorts all over the gambit. You can do all sorts of crazy stuff, but on the root of it, do they exist? I do think they do. What was the uh what was the personal experience that you had? One of the experiences that you had to validate that they exist? Or just the an alien abduction experience that you think happened to you? 
Well, I've not quite experienced my own abduction yet. I've not gone there through hypnosis. I've not allowed myself to go there. But I did huh. work briefly with Dr. Leo Sprinkle, who talked to me, and he wrote a book called Soul Samples, and he gave me a lot of his research because okay. he was like, "I'm getting." He was like, "I'm getting old. I'm going to die. I want someone to have this. Who's going to use it?" And so he sent me a big box one day. I was very thankful, and he's kind of been my mentor in that sense. And he had suggested that psychics are usually abductees, just through. Um, not necessarily osmosis or connection, but because you are exposed. Or perhaps that aliens seek you out because you are more intuitive. Or perhaps what they're doing to you when you're abducted just activates your you know, pineal gland or other parts of the brain. Or that we're this experiment in evolution. Who knows? He has a lot of different theories, and he leaves it up to the reader to decipher and say, listen, this research is definitely still out on the table. But there's a clearly a, a, a correlation between psychics and abductions, or people that have abductions and who later have intuition after the abduction, uh, like Whit, uh, Whitley Strieber talks about that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I do give credence to that because he, of course, my sister, had an abduction experience that I got to experience with her. I was present during her regression, and it was so scary. It scared her to pieces, but it scared us to move on, and it scared us uh, to the point of going and talking with other people, doing group therapy together. I went with her and kind of helped her through the process of, of learning what her abduction experience was, and got to watch other clients do their regressions and learn the regression process and then do it, you know, myself in a therapeutic sense, watch other people go through it. And I've been able to have brief blips that definitely tell me there's something, but I don't allow myself to go there. Do you think you ever will? I don't know. I think now that I've had children, I will, because for a long time I was really fearful to have children because the idea of something moving inside of me that parasitic, I have a real fear of parasites. I was really nervous of how I was going to handle pregnancy. Luckily, I enjoyed it. And I think we're done having children. I have two sons and my, my husband is definitely done, but um, I don't, <laughs> he's like, we're done. We don't need another car. We don't need a third car seat. We're done. We've got, you know, enough. Well, um, well also in the literature too, I mean, you hear about it running in generations as well right. in family members. So right. I well, can definitely see the concern there that your, your sons might experience that as well. Well, my oldest son, the one that has uh, night terror, the one that has tinnitus, the one that hears things and sees things. My other son doesn't, which is interesting. But my oldest son, Stellan, he, when he was here before he could speak, he did a lot of watercolor, a lot of painting. And he drew these paintings that later, two years later, I pulled out of the bin that I keep. I keep all of his paintings for mother-in-law. We were going through them. I was going to print them for Christmas. We were going through his paintings. I found some that I really liked. And I remember at the time... Um, going through and kind of writing down the babbles and things. And I pulled a series out and I took it to Office Max, had it blown up, put them up on the wall. My son walks out, sees them, freaks out. Take it down, take it down, take it down, take it down, take it down. That's Monster Spaceman, take it down. And I said, what? He said, that's Monster Spaceman. That's Monster Spaceman from our old apartment. He used to come in when I would sleep. He came down from the vents. He came down from those silver vents. That's Monster Spaceman. I don't like it. It's scary. Take it down. Take it down. And so we had to have a serious discussion about Monster Spaceman because I had never heard of this before. And he tells me these crazy tales of Monster Spaceman. And I go and I told my husband, I started crying because I was like, oh my God, I hope he's not having some crazy experience. I mean, the only thing he's ever watched close to anything is Toy Story. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I mean, he likes Buzz Lightyear. So that's kind of been something we're dealing with. (laughs) 
right now, <laughs> active in our life. That is ex- extremely interesting. I'll email you that photo. I'll send it to you yeah. right now. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Well, Sarah, you also have in the book, you have past life experiences. You have a uh, experience with EVP yourself. Uh, it's a very good book, very interesting book. Uh, tell people where they can get it. And also, if people want to contact you and hear your show, all that good stuff. Sure. Yeah. Well, you can hear my show at IPBN. If you're here, you're familiar um, yep. <laughs> on Thursday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, but you can definitely get my book at Amazon. You can download it on Kindle. You can go to Barnes & Noble. You can get it anywhere. It's Lou Ellen. They're kind of uh, well-known for their holistic stuff. You can go straight to the website there and get it if you want. Um, but And I do uh, in person stuff. You know, I'm doing a psychic fair in October in Kansas City. Um, after that, I'm going to be doing an event um, in Liberty, Missouri with Amy Bruni at the Belvar Winery doing some cool stuff there in April. Um, I'll be in Chicago in March. I'll be in Portland in May. Um, I travel around quite a bit, so you can always catch me, but follow me online. You know, Twitter, Facebook, just Paranormal Sarah. If you really are unsure and you want to get to know me a little more, you can go to www.sarahsoderland.com. It's S-A-R-A dot com, and you can click away and you can stalk and peruse and figure out <laughs> and follow me and then hopefully join me and get the book and give me your feedback and all sorts of fun stuff. Absolutely, Sarah. We need to have you back on to talk about the, the, <laughs> past, life, the past life stuff. That's oh, sure. reincarnation. All that is always fascinating to me. We should do another show just on that. So, Oh, sure. We will do it, do it, do it. We're absolutely going to do it again. Thank you so much. Uh, Rob, was there anything you wanted to ask or share? No, um, other than thanks for being on the show. That was a, that was a great interview. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you, guys. I really had a good time. I do hope you'll have me back. It's not just on-air cordial happiness, but that I come back because <laughs> yeah. I did. I had such a great time. And, uh, and yeah, so anyone listening, thank you. I really had a blast. We shall. Uh, stay on the line for us. We're going to close out this section. Guys, we will be back, as usual, on Conspiracy Normal. We're back. All right. Well, that was an interesting interview with Sarah Soderlin. What What did you think about that, Rob? Oh, that was great. I I, I like Sarah. She's she's an awesome person. I've, I've never got to like we met her real briefly mm-hmm. in Minnesota, but yeah, getting to know her a little bit well, that was awesome. Yeah, she was there at Paradigm Symposium. We d- I did go up and talk to her, but we didn't really get a chance to really really speak to her. There were so many people there, and we were so busy with doing our thing that I don't think we even got to even have any time and she was kind of there only briefly i think it was only like for like one day or something uh, then i didn't see her the rest of the time although she did remind us that she was there with uh when we did the like the little interview with john and scotty that crazy ass interview <laughs> that we did <laughs> well you know man this was supposed to be all halloween all paranormal all spooky stories but we're recording this on October the 9th, and over the weekend, well, on Friday, actually, something dropped that 
has been a real game changer in the world of politics. And that would be, if anyone has lived under a rock for the past few days, would be Trump's comments from 11 years ago on a hot mic that apparently they didn't know the mic was on. And I think he was going to do like a guest spot on a soap opera. And he was with a guy named, because his name was Billy Bush from TMZ. And apparently there was some uh, rather witty, witty banter that was going on. And I want to play that uh, close to its entirety. And let's take a listen. I moved on her, actually. You know, she was down in Palm Beach. I moved on her, and I failed. I'll admit it. Whoa. I did try and her. She was married. <laughs> huge news, Sarah. No, no, Nancy. Yeah. No, this was marriages. And I moved on her very heavily. In fact, I took her out furniture shopping. She wanted to get some furniture. I said, I'll show you where they have some nice furniture. <laughs> I took her out furniture. I moved on her like a bitch. But I couldn't get there. And she was married. And all of a sudden, I see her. She's now got the big phony tits and everything. She's totally changed her look. She's your girl's hot as shit. In the purple. Whoa! Whoa. Yes! Whoa! Whoa. Yes, the Donald Escort! <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> oh, my man! Wait, wait, you gotta look at me when Just you get out here. Like, this up. That is very Will you give me the thumbs up. You. you are a piece. You gotta put the thumbs up. You gotta <laughs> okay. get the thumbs up. You can't be too happy. Else off first? Yeah, let me. It's very funny. You gotta give the thumbs up. Right, you, right, you and I will walk down. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's a different one. Better not be the publicist. No, it's, it's her. It's yeah, that's her. With the gold. I gotta use some Tic Tacs just in case they start kissing her. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. You just kiss. <laughs> I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. Do anything. Okay, so stop it there, man. That's uh, that's, that's the big line. No, it looks good. That's the big line. Come on, shorty. Gravel legs, huh? Quote unquote. Right, before I start going into what I think about this, Rob, I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. I would love to get Luke's, but of course, you know he's not here. <laughs> but uh, it was too early for him today when we were recording this show, so. But hopefully he'll be here at the next one. So what are your thoughts about this? Well, I mean, that's a horrible thing for anyone to say on or off a mic, obviously. But I'm not surprised. And I'm I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that anybody is surprised. I mean, it's not like he's up until now shown himself to be like this stand-up guy who's, you know... I don't know. We all know he's a, a misogynist, like from the get go. It's like this is just yeah. th- there's not new news here at all. It's it's just somebody dredged this up and was like, "All right, this is the right atmosphere to throw this out there," and there it is. So, you know, when uh, when I first heard about this on Friday night, and when I first watched it, um, it really didn't make much of an impact on me. I was kind of just like, okay, he's talking about um, trying to sleep with a married woman. He's talking about uh, uh, doing this kind of like banter with this reporter. I mean, 
it really didn't affect me in 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 any way. It didn't surprise me in any way, like you said. Um, you know, in fact, I posted on Facebook. I said, "Newsflash: Trump is a pig." Can the media tell us something we don't already know? I saw really. Well, I'll say it this way. I, you know, hearing it, as I said before, wasn't a surprise, but this is the kind of stuff that you hear guys say all the time. Guys like the bullshit. Anybody that's a guy knows this. Um, and especially when you're a rich and powerful guy and you have someone that's just kind of bending on every word like this reporter was then you're probably going to start making yourself seem more than you actually are. So there is a certain amount of bullshitting involved here. Uh, it was just basically like kind of like locker room talk outside of the locker room. Basically. Right. That's been thrown around a lot lately that that's like, yeah. And, and I wasn't, uh, I wasn't sitting there just thinking like, this is the most awful thing that could absolutely happen to Trump. That did not enter my mind. Until the next day, Saturday morning, when I get on CNN's website and see all these Republicans that have pulled their support from him. A lot of senators, some representatives. Paul Ryan said that what um, Trump said was disgusting. Was supposed to do a event with Trump, I think in Pennsylvania, uh, a campaign event, and then he changed. They changed it at the last minute to where he was going to appear with Mike Pence. Uh, John McCain has pulled out his support, um, and like I said, several other. Uh, Mitch McConnell has come out against him. Everybody, a lot of people that are very important people in Trump's own party, in the Republican Party, have pulled out support from Trump, have said that they don't endorse him. Some have said we may still vote for him, but we don't necessarily endorse him. We don't endorse anything that he said. Uh, Mike Pence, the vice presidential candidate that spent so much time on the vice, in the vice presidential debate defending Trump, defending the things that he said, has, co- has even he has even come out and said that Trump is, what he has said was reprehensible. So, This whole thing that I initially thought nothing of has become a huge political event. This is something we have never seen. A month out from the election, the election is November 8th. All of a sudden, this happens. Now, this... By this, you mean a candidate losing the support of its party? Of losing its support of its party, like almost completely. Like, have you have you ever seen in the, the whole time that you've been alive and experienced presidential elections in this country? Have you ever seen anything like this? No. And I knew it was gonna. I, I knew things were gonna get weird. They're gonna continue to get weirder. This is just the most bizarre election ever. Yep. But. Yep, and it and it has completely gotten bizarre. Now, I've talked about on this show before how I feel, and I think that you feel this way. I think Luke feels this way. That the theory that Trump is there 
basically to get Hillary elected. Okay. And with that in mind, one big question that I'm asking right now is this was filmed in 2005. This footage where Trump says that he he wants to grab a woman by the pussy was filmed 11 years ago. Someone somewhere has been sitting on this thing for 11 years. And it just now has come to, into the light of day. Another question. Why didn't this come out last year around the same time when Trump was ahead and was, was number one in the polls in the Republican primary before the Republican primaries? When you had 15 other or so Republican candidates that could have used this against him, Jeb Bush, Ted Cruz, Chris Christie even, any of these guys could have used this against him at that time. And then Trump would not be the candidate, the Republican Party candidate for president of the United States. It would not have happened. Do you remember Herman Cain? Yeah. Herman Cain ran for president in, in, in the Republican primaries in 2012. Towards the end of 2011, he got this big boost and was basically number one in a lot of the polls for whatever reason and whatever polls they were. All of a sudden, all these women started coming forth and saying that Herman Cain had sexually harassed them. And then Herman Cain lost a lot of support. He began to sink in the polls, and he didn't win a single primary, dropped out of the race. So if that was done to Herman Cain, why wasn't this material out there then at the end of 2015 against Donald Trump? And it's not just his grabbing the pussy comment. There's a woman named Jill Harth that's come out with a um, lawsuit against Trump claiming that he sexually harassed her. So my big question is, why? 11 years ago. And, okay, get it? He wasn't running for president at the time. It didn't matter, but this could have come out last year. Well, where did where did this clip come from? I mean, it, it just kind it of came, it, it came from. I believe it was it was it was TMZ, I think, or somebody had it. Um, and it was it was released. Well, this isn't something that like was in the public domain that somebody could have just been like, oh, no. what, what about this guy? I don't this, think it was in the public domain. This was out of a private collection somewhere that was I, just I thrown I into the ring. So it was just thrown in. It was just thrown into the mix. Um. So. It really makes me think, and it lends credence to the whole theory that Trump is just there, for me, personally. It lends credence to the whole theory that Trump is thus there to get her elected. And I'm talking about Hillary. In his apology that he put out instantly on Saturday night, Trump says, I've heard worse things from Bill Clinton on the golf course. 
But nobody says anything about Bill Clinton and Donald Trump have been, played golf together before. Now, I know people are going to say, like, well, they're important people. Of course, they're going to interact. But Trump was a huge supporter of the Clintons in the 90s. Tr- uh, Cl- both Clinton, uh, both Hillary and Bill were at his wedding to Melania, which there's a nice little picture of them all sitting there laughing it up. And it seems to me like Trump is there to look as bad as possible by design to get Hillary elected. We've gone through this. <laughs> right. And somehow it's just not working. <laughs> It's. I think it actually it may actually be working because of the because in the first debate, the second debate is tonight. By the way, in the first debate, they started talking about this Alicia Machado uh, woman that was Miss Universe that they said Trump called Miss Piggy and Miss Housekeeping and all this stuff, and uh, so that was two weeks ago. And then not even two weeks later, somebody comes up with uh, Trump talking about how he wants to grab the pussy. Okay. Interesting thing that happened and something that you're not hearing about on the mainstream media uh, is the WikiLeaks. There's emails from the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, and this one is particularly interesting. Okay. This is an email that WikiLeaks leaked from April 7th, 2015, from the Democratic National Committee, subject 2016 GOP presidential candidates. Friends, this memo is intended to outline the strategy and goals a potential Hillary Clinton presidential campaign would have regarding the 2016 Republican presidential field. Clearly, most of what is contained in this memo is work the DNC is already doing. This exercise is intended to put those ideas to paper. Our goals and strategy... Our hope is that the goal of a potential HRC, that's Hillary Rodham Clinton, campaign and the DNC would be one and the same, to make whomever the Republicans nominate unpalatable to the majority of the electorate. Let me repeat that. To make whomever the Republicans nominate unpalatable to the majority of the electorate. We have outlined three strategies to obtain our goal. One, force all Republican candidates to lock themselves into extreme conservative positions that will hurt them in a general election. Two, undermine any credibility trust Republican presidential candidates have to make inroads to our coalition as independents. Three, muddy the waters on any potential attack lodged against Hillary Rodham Clinton. Operationalizing the strategy, Pied Piper candidates. There are two ways to approach the strategies mentioned above. The first is to use the field as a whole to inflict damage or on itself, similar to what happened to Mitt Romney in 2012. The variety of candidates is a positive here, and many of the lesser known can serve as a cudgel to move the more established candidates further to the right. In this scenario, we don't want to marginalize the most, more extreme candidates, but make them more Pied Piper candidates who actually represent the mainstream of the Republican Party. Pied Piper candidates include, but aren't limited to, Ted Cruz, Donald Trump, Ben Carson. We need to be elevating the Pied Piper candidates so that they are leaders of the pack and tell the press, and tell the press to take them seriously. And then it talks about how to... Make Jeb Bush, Marco Marco Rubio, Scott Walker, Rand Paul, Bobby Jindal, Chris Christie, uh, how to undermine some of the more moderate things that they talk about. 
and a focus on the on the extremes. And there's no one more extreme than Donald Trump. <laughs> Well, the way the that he has said and all the things that he has said. He started off his entire campaign. First thing he did when he started his campaign was talk about how Mexicans are how Mexicans and illegal immigrants are racists. Are not racist, rapists. Okay. So it was to make them make him look as bad as make him look as bad as possible. And to say all the right things to get people to follow him. And then it's all by design to bring him down. Well, I think there's Republicans that are seeing through this now. And just repudiating him. Uh, I want to play a couple of clips here. This is from CNN. Uh, Anna Navarro is, uh, she is a... Republican strategist, okay, that has worked for Jeb Bush, John McCain. Uh, she, she was the national co-chair of the Hispanic Advisory Council for John McCain in 2008 and John Husband Jr. in 2012, and she supported Jeb Bush's 2016 presidential campaign. Okay, this is from CNN, and this is her talking about Trump's grab the pussy comment. Anna, what do you think? laughable part about us he was when he says anybody who knows me knows these words don't reflect me at all we have seen for the last uh, year that those words are exactly what reflects him and i just have one question for my gop brethren for gop leadership we have seen this man mock a disabled person we've seen him call mexicans rapists we've seen him say horrible things about rosie o'donnell about miss universe about megan kelly about carly fiorina we have seen him pick a fight for over a week with a gold star family what else do they need to see? Today, we saw him boasting, laughing about grabbing a woman's pussy. What else do we need to see to disown him, disavow him, ask him to resign, ask him to step down? He is dragging the Republican Party down. And everybody's going to have to answer the question, what did you do? when you were faced with undisputable evidence that this man was a misogynist. Mm -hmm. Did you step away or did you try to make an excuse? Okay. And that's the question that leadership needs to answer tonight. Andre, what do you think? Well, he apologized. Stop it there. All right. So I think she has some pretty good points there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean... Well, and that's that's that was my whole point earlier. Is that it's not like his true colors are just finally starting to show. Yeah, I mean, this is the same Trump we've had since the beginning. Thus, the lack of any surprise from me. Right. Thus, the lack of any surprise from you, from Melissa, I'm sure, from Luke. I mean, no one's, no one's. I'm sure there are plenty of people that are outraged by it, but nobody's surprised, incidentally, by it. And I mean, yeah, you know, Trump comes out and he says, well, I heard worse from Bill Clinton on the golf course. And as I said before, we should really be questioning that. We should be questioning that. We should be saying, what are you doing playing golf with the guy? If he's your buddy, then why are you even running against his wife? I mean, that should be the first question out of anybody's mouth. But no, people are not socially conscious enough to get it, to understand it. 
And he's going to try, and he's going they're going to try to deflect this on the Clintons. And Bill, let me say this first of all, Bill and Hillary Clinton are corrupt. Bill Clinton has raped people. He is a he he is a womanizer. We know this. We know just as bad as he is. But really, honestly, this is all this is all really about Trump and the things that he has said and the things that he has done. And we can make as much as justification and try to say that you know this is unfair because women read Fifty Shades of Grey and all this kind of thing. All that is basically pointless. It's a pointless argument because the fact is is that the Republican Party are deserting him in drove in droves. It doesn't matter where it came from. It doesn't matter the the source of that. They are now deserting their own candidate. So that means they have essentially lost the election. Now. This was the October surprise. This was it. <laughs> this was the huge surprise. And I wouldn't be I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the Clintons or or Hillary had anything to do with, with, with this coming out. And now all of a sudden CNN is bringing out the the all the stuff that he said with Howard Stern. All that stuff's been common knowledge forever. That was that was broadcast on the on the radio. Right. You know? And and people, his his all his little lackeys still try to defend him. They all try to live in in in, in denial, and 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 the tr- the Trump people that that are out there that really scare me are the ones that try to change history. You know, like this lady in Ohio that was talking about how there was no racism until Obama came along. What? Now I will admit that Obama has not helped the racial uh, schism schism in this country. Right. But to say flat out that there's no racism in this country until it comes along, that's 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 asinine. I mean, that's that's Orwellian language. And and then uh, Rudy Giuliani at the Republican convention saying that you know we haven't had any terrorist attacks until until Obama took office. He was the mayor during 9/11. <laughs> I mean, it makes no sense. It's like they want to just they want to just change history. And I got a final clip here. I want to play. This is also from the same brouhaha over uh, Trump's "grab the pussy" comment. And I just love this. This is Anna Navarro, uh, and one of the other uh, Scotty something is her name. But she's a, she's one of these Trump people. And I just I love this exchange here. And I just think this is just beautiful. So you play that one time uh, uh and i just say that this Anna, is, quickly this, i have to get to break in i'll all, bring you guys back this, but go ahead all this shaming of each other on tv yeah. really let's not do this guys yeah. none of us are on the ballot the people that are on the ballot are donald trump hillary clinton and we are judging donald trump if you choose to believe him if you choose listen if you choose to believe him if you choose to make excuses for you for him that's your choice that's your choice. My choice is to consider him a disgusting balance. man who has consistently disgusted me from the first day of this campaign. And I think that every single Republican is going to have to answer the question, what did you do the day you saw the tape of this man boasting about grabbing exactly. a woman's pussy? That's Period. Okay. All right. Well, Will you right. please stop saying that word? My daughter is listening. Yeah, and you know what, Scotty? Well, you know what, Scotty? Don't tell out. me you're please offended when I say pussy, but you're not offended when Donald Trump says it. I'm not running for president. He is. Yes. 
And I said I was okay, offended so by then, Donald Trump. Don't act outraged and offended. When I say the word that you're not offended by the man who you are supporting is saying. That is I just absurd. I said I was offended by him saying that, too. We'll be right back. Mm. So I just love, I, I love how the, she gets offended by the use of the word pussy in the context of what Donald Trump said. But and she, she says, she, Scotty lady says that she was, uh, she was offended. She said she was offended by it as well. I don't remember. I watched the whole nine minute interview and I don't remember her actually saying that because I had watched that part first. Uh, just ridiculous. <laughs> Just, just uh, absolutely ridiculous. I mean, that right there in and of itself is indicative, even though I like what Anna Navarro says there. I like that she turns the tables, but that just yelling and sparring on na- on national television, on these 24-hour news channels, I'm so sick of hearing that. I'm so sick of everything being just these um, sound bites like this, and we may be even accused of it ourselves by playing something like that because it's just a soundbite ultimately. Right. But it's just so, uh, you know, just 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 so over it, you know. Just have a civil discourse with each other, you know. It, it just it, it, it a lot of it, I think, is the media's fault. You know, the media gave Trump, they gave Trump carte blanche, and that could be what I read in that leaked email. You know, they gave him free publicity. They gave him all kinds of attention. Um, before we go, guys, I want to read something that Peter Goodgame, I uh, guess, that we had on last year. And I'd love to get Peter back on to talk about another subject. But I thought that this was very appropriate of what is going on right now. Uh talking about Trump and about the election, about Hillary. It says, stick a fork in him, he's done. This is merely the script running its course, and the closer we get to November, the more obvious it is what a total farce the Trump campaign has been right from the start. The biggest losers are conservative Christians who jumped in on his candidacy at the beginning, setting aside both their conservative and their Christian principles in a fantasy land delusional hope for a populist winner. To somehow hold on to power for someone, anyone other than HRC. They got sucked right into the trap and forever tarnished the names of some big name ministries out there Bethel Church, Lance Wilnow, Franklin Graham, James Dobson. Hello. Still think Trump can win? Stop kidding yourself. It's over. Now we must face the reality of an HRC presidency, which I am personally very frightened of. Not necessarily because of what she might do on social issues of the Supreme Court. But rather on what she and her backers have planned for U.S. foreign policy on the global stage. Regardless of right-wing paranoia hysteria, the reality is that Obama was never a real player with the military-industrial powers that be. He was always dragging his feet, pulling back troops, frustrating Israel, refusing to fully support regime change in Syria, and working for peace with Iran. My fear is that is that Hillary will show no hesitation in working with those these overlord powers and implementing a very violent, aggressive plan using American young men and women to promote U.S. Western corporate hegemony over all these hotspots regardless of what it might temporarily do to our precious economy. Things will move fast because Hillary is so universally hated by both the real left and the right that she probably only has four years. 
The only hope I can see comes not from the right, whose credibility has been neutralized and regardless has a tendency to be easily distracted by meaningless things affecting only their personal comfort, but from the left. Yes, I am talking about the movement fueled largely by hopeful and idealistic millennials that we saw rising up in support of Bernie. This group represents the only credible and hopefully effective resistance to what has been planned for the next four years. HRC must be stopped, but Trump is not the way to stop her. Trump has been her greatest enabler, a priceless gift to her candidacy. But once he is out of the way, we need to make our voices heard and let the world know that we will not stand for more war, more regime change, more injustice, more drone strikes, more racism, more xenophobia, more economic inequality. The real resistance begins after November 8th, so let's not be lazy about it. I love that. That was very well put. Very well put. I think put better than, than I could or you, or oh, you for could sure. put it. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's true. November 8th, Trump is going to be out of the way. The distraction is going to be gone. Uh, you know, I have said in the past on this show that I think he could be elected. I think after this revelation, it's not going to happen now. And you know what? I think Donald Trump is fine with that. I think he wanted the prestige of running for president. He put him out there in the limelight. He put his companies out there in the limelight. He gave him plenty of media. It gave him plenty of media coverage. And Clinton, Hillary, she gets what she wants. She gets the presidency. This was a big... My wife... Is from Brazil. She talks a lot about the corruption that happens in that country, and she uses the word a lot, mafia, and that's what this is. It's just a big damn mafia. And I'm sorry for anybody that doesn't see it. Uh, right before the election, if Trump is, he's going to stay in. Okay, he's not going to, he's not going to give up. The guy's got too much of an ego to to quit. He's not a quitter. He's not a loser. <laughs> He makes great deals. Well, I think he did probably make a great deal for himself on this one. And yeah, this is uh this is unfortunately the reality that we are living in. And I think the next four years, Hillary Clinton does scare me. Um, it scares me the rhetoric that we hear from the Democrats now. From MSNBC, as I've said before, about Russia. You know, we are in a tenuous situation with them. And we need to be cooperating with the Russians. We don't need World War III. Mm-mm. And hopefully it doesn't come down to that. So if that's not more scary than any ghost or goblin or ghoul, I don't know what is. <laughs> but uh, that's true. So... I think we are going to get uh, the next guest on, and uh, for the uh, the next show. So we're going to call it. Um, thank you, Rob. Anytime, sir. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you later on Conspiranormal.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.